Ladies and gentlemen, happy hump day slash middle of the week, whatever you want to call it. We are back talking a little bit of La Liga. What happened in Spain over the weekend? What is to come eventually? Well, that'll be a next week problem. But in the meantime, we're going to talk a little bit about Spanish football. A lot of people, I think, in Spain, Rian, have accepted, not in Spain, I would say outside of Spain, about Spain, have accepted this idea that La Liga is now back to being a boring, uncompetitive, unwatchable, unentertaining league. When in fact, I believe there have been nine draws out of 15 matches so far, something like that. Uh, maybe this was, I think this was just from the first week. Um, Scoring draws, uh, I'm hoping. Well, let's, let's not get, <laughs> let's not get too crazy. No, 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 none, none of that. But the, uh, <laughs> that just means that defensive solidity is a very real thing. But (laughs) some a lot of them actually have been scoring draws, but I would say a lot of them have been nil nil draws. Um, I don't even want to go into I think there have actually been more. There have been more scoring draws. I'll I'll say that much than than nil nil draws, but I digress anyway. What's up, Rian? How you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. I am um, just. Honestly, looking forward to the international break just a bit not not in a sense of like oh i want club to go away whatever <laughs> like that um more in the sense that i think it's been a long while since i've actually been excited for international breaks at the same time as excited for club seasons to go on at the same time and a lot is of that, that has is that because do... of world cup qualifiers like why oh uh, yeah i mean it's just about i guess just watching u.s soccer in general mm. so like not even like this is just normally uh to not have like oh well hopefully we actually look good against haiti this time um not <laughs> there's hope oh, yeah. oh that's a that's a risky game to play <laughs> like i mean Anyway, no, no, I think I think I am actually actually excited for these qualifiers, especially like the Canada game is coming up. So hoping that all of like the best players are actually uh, available for that, it's even on the Canadian side, because I know Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David were not available for, I think, the Gold Cup. And so they were not. That's true. Outside of that, though. I, I outside hoping... of that very good i hope yeah 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 <laughs> i'm 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 looking forward to the international break mainly because i would say outside of u.s men's national team play um i i honestly think i'm it's not that i'm not excited to watch u.s men's national team i just that now that my expectations are higher there's less i guess surprise factor in a way i'm gonna come back and bite my words on that for sure but like (laughs) i i'm i'm more excited i will say for the rest of like conca cat or not uh conma ball like qualifiers and conca calf qualifiers because i don't really know what to expect coming out of south america and also i very um, i'm like very bullish on Canada potentially making the World Cup as well. 
So I, everything basically outside of U.S. Men's National Team, I'm very curious to, to see. Yeah, I, I hope they make it too. That would be, that would just be a lot of fun. Yeah. More than anything. Which, which is the exclusive reason why we do this in the first place. So <laughs> anyway, well, the other fun part of this weekend was going right into our game of the weekend from Spain. It has, it has to be Levante three, Real Madrid three, an absolutely absurd Sunday, which if you listen to our Monday pod featured me cutting my hand open. So this was kind of my, my glorious way of ending the day <laughs> after a woeful, uh, woeful early part of the day. What did you like? Let, let's start with Levante for a second, because this is a team that over, I believe the last three home games, they have drawn Barcelona. They have drawn Real Madrid and they've drawn to Cadiz. And I think they have scored a total of eight goals and they have also conceded eight goals in those last three home games against the top three sides, Barcelona, Atletico and Real Madrid. I believe over the, something like the last 17 games or over the last, maybe like 34 games, they have taken points off of the top three, 17 times, like something Absolutely. Over the last several years, they have they have a wonderful record against the top three sides. So what like what did you make of let's start with kind of the Levante side of things? The Levante side of things was. Really fun to watch a team go at Real Madrid like they did, And, and obviously the teams who are close to that level in, in talent always do go after Real Madrid but it's fun to see the teams lower in La Liga who I think over the last couple seasons have not been very expansive when playing either of like the any of the top three teams really like I think there is a lot of like the counter just wait for the counter kind of thing and um and just kind of hold the ball and, and hope that you just kind of sustain enough possession and, and do what you can to win free kicks and, <laughs> and kind of like to release the pressure, game yeah. a bit. <laughs> like, um, no, so it was very refreshing to see that from Levante, honestly. And that first half, you would not have expected that game to end three, <laughs> three. So no, the, the, the second half was outrageous and, just from like even just the types of goals that were scored point of view it was an actual show and i i think a lot of that credit has to go to just levante's actual just expansiveness especially against um madrid who have shown in the first couple of weeks that they're they're not very hard to get at in terms of finding spaces in their in between their midfield and and defense so props to Levante and then of course props to Vinicius who just came in and basically just kept Real Madrid in that game um, (laughs) for 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 about half an hour but just yeah really good stuff from him really really proud of him oh like in a in a like in like a proud dad way yeah like like, maybe cousin but (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're. Ba- I mean, we're like slightly older than him, which is 
terrifying to know that there are players that are that good that are now younger than us. But I, I basically 100% agree with you. Levante are one of those teams where they stick to the way that they play really, really strongly. And it's something that you have to basically admire about this team. The flip side to that now, of course, is that they, like Paco Lopez's men, they very much like can, can like, like fall on the sword. That's what I'm trying to say with that style of play, like this aggressive, assertive, very direct pressing style. They get caught out a lot. And I think a perfect encapsulation of that is probably our friend, Aitor Fernandez's red card towards the end of this game being the perfect like chasm of all of this um, coming out to the like halfway line for some reason and just drawing the red card very blatantly for handballing it in a territory I can't, really should not even be I, in. I, I can't decide which is worse this one or the uh, Burnt Leno one from last season where he oh, came wow. out and just kind of yeah. flap, just kind of flapped at the uh, ball <laughs> with his hand. Like, I can't <laughs> tell which is worse here because, yeah, he's also come out 40, 45 yards away from his goal and <laughs> doesn't even like slide tackle as, doesn't even attempt to slide tackle as a normal, like, midfielder or defender would have tried to he did literally treat it like he was still in the penalty box and yeah. handballs it yeah. and it was a and, great uh, save if that's in the penalty box amazing of save. course of he course. just forgot that he was 40 yards from it so to go back to your point about levante the last thing i'll say is they play very very expansively and it works it works against these top sides because i think that in playing your both madrid teams and Barcelona, they very much value slow buildup, and that can be to their detriment sometimes. Atletico probably least so, but the other two for sure. Levante will come at you as you slowly build up, and you saw that during this game. I mean, they took several balls off of this midfield. They were very, very successful in their press. I thought this was just a wonderful, wonderful game from them, but it has to be said that there are other narratives from the Real Madrid side that are pretty important here. Vinicius being the first one, but we'll get to that in one of our questions. The second one is that we saw Gareth Bale and Isco playing well in a Real Madrid team. And it's not 2014, (laughs) (laughs) which is just bizarre to me in general, but Real Madrid, I thought played very very lacklusterly in the first half like they were they're very content with possession with the ball but they didn't do much with it I thought Isco like I said was very good Gareth Bale did a really really nice job finishing that ball off from Benzema I thought David Alaba in particular should not first off be playing the center back position ever again but certainly as a left back is a great replacement for for Marcelo um that is that is what I'll, I'll leave it at for the positives. For, for the negatives, what do we let – me, let me just ask this. What do we think is Real Madrid's ideal midfield? Because we saw Fede Valverde. We saw Casemiro. We saw basically 
the like I I not even like the ghost of Luka Modric because he wasn't in this game. But like we saw basically players that don't fit this midfield. Like I'm trying to think outside of like yeah, it was Valverde, Isco, and Casemiro. Do you basically my question is do you think that midfield is gonna work like for the season? Because I'm not I'm not overly convinced by it yet. It it doesn't feel like defensively it'll be good enough as we saw in that game right there's uh, as good of an athlete as Freddie Valverde is um you know what what happens when he is just when he's made a run in into the attack and now the ball's turned over and who's gonna be actually like they're ready to stop the pressure with Casemiro it's likely not gonna be Isco right and Granted, you could bring in, um, of course, if you brought in like Modric and, and or Cruz, at least positionally, they will probably be in the right place. And then you, the only other issue you might have there is just athleticism being beating them at that point. Right. right? But yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think that three probably isn't, that isn't really going to work against, against a, a, a technically sound midfield. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and that's that's kind of what I wanted to get at, because I think that Luka Modric now, I think he's approaching 36. I think it'll be 36 next month. He at some point will have to not play every game like we will not probably see a resurgence of Luka Modric of last late last season like we did. But it begs the question, then, why did Real Madrid let Odegaard go? Because. Odegaard's big problem with this team is that he was not getting enough consistent playing time. And in a season when you're probably going to start hopefully phasing out players like Luka Modric and Tony Kroos, that leaves open one to two potential spots for one of them more than likely going to Fede Valverde, as we saw in this game. But the other, basically up for grabs between Isco, what could have been Odegaard, say those two probably really being it. Like that, that's kind of the whole story so i i think that i think that real madrid have just screwed up their transfer policy or what is left of it in the last year and you're starting to see yeah. the effects of it that's what i'm trying to I, get at. I think i think that's definitely possible i think i think i agree in the sense of i feel like it was very early for them to give up on on Odegaard. um but I would say I don't think that sending him – I think you could make an argument if you wanted to that sending him away was kind of their admission that they – that that's not the position that they need right now, which honestly, like, it could be possible because I don't think if you throw Odegaard in there instead of Isco at, at that moment, he's probably also not defi- going to defend at a – that great of a way especially in that scenario where they lose the ball like in the in the attacking third like he's gonna most likely be up there and then mm-hmm. in that same area as well but i mean i guess my the, the one thing with Odegaard i was like i think i would have rather given him a chance in isco but fair just in fair. general just in general to be like one of the attacking mids like that's that's what is really disappointing in that sense from uh just the way they kind of handled a young player that uh, they invested a lot in at a, at a pretty young age. And for sure, but yeah, I, I think none of those 
combinations feel like they're going to be defensively sound. I think there's still the issue that that they needed another another midfielder, not necessarily another creative and attacking midfielder. Like they needed another more traditional, I guess, center mid. Yeah. Someone who's going to actually kind of look out for the danger and <laughs> and and help and help Casemiro in that sense. Well, it's good enough that they're going for Mbappe, I guess, because that's the solution to all things. But that I fully, def- I, yeah, sure, that why not? That'll fix it. <laughs> I fully agree with you. I fully agree that there is a midfield problem in this Madrid team, and I, and to going back to the game, I think that's where this was kind of exposed. So, Rian, let's take a quick break before we get to the questions, and we'll talk a little bit more about a key standout player. We already ruined the surprise, Venetia's, but we'll talk about Venetia's performance during this game and a couple other questions that we've got. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back, back with our questions. First one, like we talked about right before the break, is Vinicius going to finally, excuse me, Vinicius Jr., finally going to have his breakout season? He is top of the scoring charts in La Liga on three goals. He has played wonderfully well, if not starting the game. But I think what really set him apart, at least in my eyes, this um, this past weekend was the third Real Madrid goal, his second on the day. The one where he basically chips it over Fernandez from an angle that is seemingly impossible that Florentino Perez somewhere in the president's box was probably getting very, very happy (laughs) about basically seeing something Neymar has done week in, week out. (laughs) So just if that's the image that you want to be left with. It's not. Don't worry. (laughs) I I hope to God it's not. But Rian, do we think this could be Vinicius's breakout season? I think that question really depends on what kind of constitutes a, a breakout season for him, right? He's 21 now. Um, he's gotten a lot of game time in his last the last couple of years of Real Madrid, right? And so far, he started off this season off the bench in the first two games. He's got three goals in less than an hour 52 minutes 52 minutes yep so you know he's he's come on and had an instant impact and if we're ready to like constitute a a successful season for him as you know someone who maybe will start like at most at most a third of their games maybe a quarter of their games but someone who's gonna who can come off the bench and have the impact that he has and improve on his finishing which it seems like like we're still again super small (laughs) sample size um but the finishes have been stunning and also situations where you would have bet on him not to score in the last couple seasons uh especially like one-on-ones really so i think if that improvement is consistent for the rest of this season um and he is more impactful coming off the bench if that's what his role is for the season and he does that 
to anywhere close to this efficiency for, for throughout an entire season, then yeah, I, I think I think we can we can just about say that's a breakout for him, right? I I, I think seeing the finishing kind of reach a more cons- consistent level would be a huge step in his development. A hundred percent. Yeah. The finishing is the biggest thing. Now he scored three goals over his last two seasons. I mean, individually in 2020, 2021, and then 1920, he scored three goals in each of those seasons. He's already on three goals after two games in this season, which is why I think we're even having this conversation, but more so he's on three goals this season after having played, like Rian said, less than an hour, only 52 minutes. So his expected goals per 90 and his expected goals are just off the charts, but very small sample size and I think what will be interesting to see is how much playing time does he now get right with him being so informed what sort of playing time does Carlo Ancelotti give him going forward does he become a consistent starter for let's say a couple weeks or a couple months what does that look like and we have yet to go through you know the Champions League draws or anything like that so there will be several games coming up this fall combined with the international breaks that will push each one of these top European teams. And it's more likely than not that he will probably see more playing time. And likely if he's really gotten his, you know, his finishing touchback, possibly a, a very solid starting spot over someone like Gareth Bale. Yeah. And you can even see, especially if he's coming in um, on that left side, if he's coming, especially off the bench, he offers something completely different to Hazard right now. Like he, he they're two totally different types of players. Um, Hazard is n- not like a traditional winger anymore and doesn't, and kind of like drifts a lot more, does a lot more like floating through the entire system of your team. So that gives you a different look defensively than when Vinicius comes on and he's just going to try to run directly through your back line like as many times as possible um so I I think that also offers like a really good use for um Vinicius coming off the bench and and Vinicius even if he's not a day in day out starter even if you're talking about like maybe one to two starts a month but he's getting subbed on in just about every game that's basically close yeah then I, I think that's that could be a really clever use of, of him, um, at least for this season. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And the last thought that I'll leave people with is when we say breakout season, we're talking about a player that last season had from open play and expected goals of 6.25. He scored two goals from that 6.25. So bar is pretty low (laughs) so you can basically only improve at this point but i'll leave you with that thought so rian i want to move on to your next question which is very unfortunate for me but i'll let you ask it Uh, elias we obviously saw a lot of um a lot of good stuff from barcelona last week and we saw some good stuff from them this week too, especially from Memphis Depay and Frankie de Jong, who I think have probably been the two best players for Barca in the first two weeks of the season. Um, all that being said, we're still seeing the same issues in terms of 
the quality of chances that Barcelona gives up as a team. Um, and a lot of the times it's seeming very easy to either play through or around their back line. And, and that includes the holding midfielders. And now after this past weekend where Gerard Piquet has to come off because of injury and basically through the entire game, the newest signing, Eric Garcia, was, for lack of a better term, being abused for just about 90 minutes until he finally just had to send himself home early <laughs> with the red card. Basically, yeah. <laughs> but he waited until he got to the 90th minute. Um, Elias, it's really begging the question that I'm not sure I had any real idea of, of how to answer this question before the season started. But with the issues we're still seeing in the back line there, Elias, without Gerard PK, maybe even with him, who to you is the best combination of defenders for Barcelona right now? What is the what do you think is the best back line for them? So if I have to be constrained to this squad, which is just extremely unfortunate when it comes yeah, to you don't have to trust you don't have when you answer this, you don't have to say that you trust <laughs> that back line that you think okay, is the okay. best version of it. I'm glad we've locked that down because I probably would have hoped it would be very different but um what i would say is sergi let me start let me go from right to left serginio des and emerson right right back potential spot for for both players um that's very much up for grabs serginio des is probably still my choice emerson offers probably more defensively than serginio does um and I think Serginho offers more in an attacking sense than Emerson does. I'm taking attacking, attacking chances over, I guess, defensive liability in this case, because at the end of the day, we're missing, you know, 40 goals a season and that guy that just left PSG. So probably have to hedge my bets somewhere. Serginho is my pick. Now when you get to, I'll go, I'll actually switch over to the left backside. Jordi Alba really being the only real choice. I know Sergio Dest sometimes has played there for the SMS national team. Balde, who you know has played preseason games, coming up from potentially Barca B this season to play a few games. Still not ready, but Jordi Alba, obvious kind of pick. Let me be very clear. I'm not happy with most of these choices. Like, I hope that's very, very abundant. We're only, we're only, we're only halfway <laughs> through. Too. I know, I know. And I'm already not like extremely pleased with this. So bear well, this with is, me. Yeah, this is probably where it's going to get even less confident, right? No, oh, this is the worst part. This is the worst part. Who is my ideal center back pairing? PK still deserves a starting spot for right now. Let me, let me explain why. Because... Basically, it's the alternatives, right? It's it's purely based on the alternatives, which is Umtiti with a knee that has since basically not healed since the last World Cup. Lung Lei, who had a very, very woeful season last season, after starting well, I thought, in his first season at Barcelona, did not play well at all, subject of a lot of questionable, you know, diving in tackles, penalties conceded, goals conceded directly off of players he was supposed to be marking. Not a great look. Eric Garcia, 
I think Eric Garcia is genuinely still a good, strong, good and strong center back. I thought he had an okay Euros. I didn't think he was amazing. I thought he was okay. I did learn before the Bilbao game that he had apparently learned that I, I believe it's his grandfather had passed away right before the game. And so I don't really know why he was playing in that game at all for like, I could not imagine being in that situation going out and being told to play in a game. I'm sure he probably wanted to play. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, yeah. I will give him some slack there. I, I and, and that's, I, I gave him some slack too, because by the end of the game, when he was sent off, I was like, I think you need basically the next weekend against Atafe and the international break to just not like, just chill. You play the euros, you play the Olympics, just take a break. So Basically, the answer to your question is PK and Eric Garcia is probably still my ideal duo because you kind of allude to this. Barcelona have had a big problem, basically, from playing out at the back. Like now that teams have adopted this gig and press, this high intensity style of play, especially in La Liga now, too, compared to prior years, that skill set becomes even more important and distribution becomes even more important. And so I'm very much in favor of having Eric Garcia play in that right side at center back position and having PK shift over. You're basically asking me to play with like ragdolls sometimes. <laughs> like it's, it is a very hard pick, but I, I think Coleman has actually gotten it right with this back line so far based on his other, his other choices, because until long lay proves himself in a one-off game again, that he has his confidence and stability back. I mean, I'm not confident in that at all. So that's with PK, by the way. I don't even get me started without PK. <laughs> well, you're going to probably have to consider that for the next I know, for weeks little, at least. Well, so. I, you, know what, you know what I realize now? Eric Garcia and PK are out for this next upcoming game oh, wow. against Atafe because PK is injured and Eric Garcia yeah. has his red card. So... Yeah, it's probably going to be Umtiti and Lay starting, um, which is which is worst case scenario, by the way. I know you weren't asking for <laughs> worst backline, but that is the worst backline right there. Wow. Well, uh, well, I mean, could just throw Sergio Roberto into uh, center back. That's, he hasn't tried that, that position <laughs> oh, yet. So, my God, please that's... no, please <laughs> no. That's that's absolutely not what I need. I really don't need that. Sergio oh. Roberto can stay in the center midfield spot. I, I think he has a good role as a squad player coming on the second half when needed. That's that's all. <laughs> well, Ellis, to take you away from the uh, torture chamber. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> would, you <laughs> would you like to go on and ask your last question? Please. Oh, thank God. Rian, my last question, which I honestly think that there's an argument to either side of this. We've seen Atletico start pretty well in this new season champions picking up well for where they left off of course getting um a guard of honor against elche uh, at home and so do you think now atletico should still be looking for a striker like do you think atletico need a striker because they were looking at rafa mir as a potential option to to bring in um to the side unexpectedly a couple of days ago went to Sevilla of just like a shock kind of move in the last couple of days, but went from Huesca. Uh, I, I believe he went from wolves cause he was on loan 
yes, he was he was technically Wolves player, went on loan to Wesca, and now has moved over to Sevilla. But now that they have lost out in the Rafa Mira race, Angel Correa has kind of picked up in some ways where he left off, but on steroids because he has scored three goals, very tied with Vinicius for uh, on the scoring charts has kind of a ridiculous XG to goals ratio, three goals on, I think it's something like 0.75 or 0.77 expected goals. So if you haven't seen Angel Correa's goals, by the way, against Vigo, excuse me, against Celta and against LJ, go back and watch them because all of them are bangers. Like there's not a single one that is not just so clinical and so beautifully crafted. So long way of saying, do Atletico need a new striker? I, I think it's like, a, it's a good question. I, I really have been impressed with Crea, who was kind of built off the end of last season where he had a couple games where he was really the brightest spot and, and in very, very pressure filled games, as we remember the last like seven, eight games of last season was for Atletico as Real Madrid and Barcelona were really closing in on them. Mm-hmm. I, he was able to kind of be the difference in those games. Um, and he's kind of carried it on for the beginning of this season the issue is still the are we ready to kind of depend on that as the goal source for this season as one of the two main goal sources for the season even um look Luis Suarez still getting back into fitness pretty much um he didn't start again at the weekend but I mean he will be back at some point but we know that the issue is also while Joao Felix is out, where are the goals coming from? Right. Right. And that's where you kind of see that their interest in strikers and now specifically, I believe Matthias Cunha from Hertha Berlin, who is now pretty heavily linked with them. Yep. That's another player that could come in and carry that load in terms of goal scoring for the team. Um, He was very, very influential for Hertha Berlin last season. Ended up being in the top 10 in the Bundesliga in shot creating actions, in assists, assists per 90. Um, He's someone who can also kind of play the Felix role and potentially play with him maybe another player that could play with him um and generally also like just more squad depth like this just kind of adds to the team that we were already saying is probably the deepest of any of the title contenders and this is just a player that makes them even deeper and not in just one position because he can play multiple positions across the front line so i I think that would be a great pickup for them. And to answer your question, I, I think that bringing in another striker is important for, you know, the business end of the season when it's going to be kind of stretched. The, the, the schedule is going to be stretched and your squad is going to be stretched as well. So, yep. 
I, I, I think it would be good business to bring in another striker. And I think in Cunha, it's a player that, that you could bring in and won't have the expectations of being your, one of your star players um, yeah. immediately, at least. Yeah, like you're not the guy, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I 100% agree with you. I think another striker to basically be something short of a super sub, but not as like entrenched as a starter somewhere like in the middle, basically. Um, I think, I think would suit them really well because they do need a refreshing squad, a squad that is not going to be run to the ground as they, you know, continue to play in three different competitions. And I think while we saw them do relatively well with the squad they had last season, the problem now is that you're dealing a with the Jao Felix injury, which is pretty significant. And I mean, he will come back from, him, but it's still pretty significant. B Luis Suarez is another year older and probably a little bit slower still again, incredible striker, but he is again, a little bit older and see, you can't play Yannick Carrasco and Angel Correa every single game as your, your basically your forward partnership, because it's not really where they were meant to play in the first place. So I think another striker striker will, will absolutely serve them really, really well. And so I'm actually very glad to see that they're in, in the market after they lost down Rafa Mir. So yeah, this is a, this is a team that, again, like, I, I think something, I think some things will have to go very wrong for them to miss out on the title this season. I, I yeah. Yeah, like, well, uh, I, 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 or so, I, or something amazing to happen at Barcelona or Real Madrid or Sevilla. So. Well, that's my thing. <laughs> I'm more, I'm more worried about Sevilla being a title challenger than I am Barcelona Real Madrid right now. So, I, I empathize with that point. I don't know if I'll go as far to say as like a miracle would be needed for Atletico to screw up. I because I genuinely think at their uh, Sevilla very well could be knocking at the the door. I think best evidence by the fact that Eric Lamella did score again earlier this week and against his half of all of all teams, but not only that he scored in the 93rd minute, which if you're a team vying for the title, there are going to be times where you do need crappy wins like that. So I have to hand it to him. Yeah. Coming in again as a sub coming in and affecting the game very late on like, no, look, he gets a bit, He's in the right place, right time for this one. Like it hits yeah. All, it's, yeah. Sevilla themselves deserve to score the goal, but you know, he gets a little like he's <laughs> in the right place at the right time. So um, it'll be interesting to see if his role continues to be kind of that super sub yeah. um, situation. But yeah. no, agreed. I, I think, uh, yeah, Sevilla, Sevilla look like they'll be strong and, I mean, I think the big question mark there is what happens in the next couple of days with Jules Kounde and and are they able to keep him? Chelsea are still trying to to sign him, so as they should. I think it's yeah, yes, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> so humble, but uh, yeah. Well, I mean, yes, you know my feelings on the on the as a player anyway, but um, yeah, I think I. Th- think a lot is riding on on that as well um and will they have the time to get the replacements in and kind of retool with the team so they should be a very very 
prominent challenger to Atletico this season. La Liga is never boring and it's never uncompetitive. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, I think we'll leave it off for this week. We'll be back next week going over everything in England, everything in Spain, as always. And probably after that, I guess the international break. So take a quick little break, talk a little bit about, I guess, the international, not tournaments, but qualifiers and friendlies that go on then. So we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you.